So this is a very special day, the Vesak day. And although different Buddhist traditions celebrate Vesak on different times of the year, in the Theravada world, the, the full moon of May is the day to remember the Buddha, the, the birth of the Bodhisattva, who later became a, a fully enlightened being, fully enlightened Buddha. The uh, the practice and, and struggle and enlightenment of the Buddha and the final passing, the Parinibbana of the Buddha. And uh, all over Southeast Asia there will be celebrations, uh, lighting of lanterns, circumambulating stupas, chanting blessings, sending cards, e-cards, paper cards. So uh, this is also going on in parts of America, parts of Australia, parts of Europe. So uh, it's a very special day in, in a way we can connect in with that bigger field of, of sangha, of uh, and of celebration of this amazing and beautiful happening that, a, that an ordinary human being like us, who was born and you know probably cried after coming out of the womb and you know experienced physical pain and experienced pleasure and experienced loss and success and failure and all of the things that we can experience that uh, this this human being, this man, became fully awake through his own investigations. So since the time of the Buddha, many, many people, and during the time actually, during the time and since the time of the Buddha, many, many people have awakened and continue to awaken. And the, the kind of remarkable quality of the Buddha was that he didn't have a teacher as such. He did, he did have meditation teachers and he did uh, a lot of investigation for himself but the actual insight into awakening was his own, I was going to say his own discovery but you could say his own discovery or rediscovery. So they say that he, when he understood the path that leads to awakening it was like finding a road in a forest that had been neglected for hundreds and hundreds of years and had got lost and that he found that that road again and it was all kind of overgrown and you know, potholes and and it led to a, a beautiful city uh, which is a sort of a, a metaphor for the abiding of uh, or the non-abiding of enlightenment so he he didn't create the Dharma, but he rediscovered, he, he found the Dharma. And this is also why we use this title, natural, listening to natural law, because he was rediscovering the, the, the law of nature, the, the truth of the way things are. And you might know the, the story of when he was enlightened, after his enlightenment, after you know, practicing in, in many different ways, practicing high levels of concentration, and then practicing asceticism. Before that, he'd been practicing hedonism <laughs> in his uh, pre-renunciant life, 
and uh, and then when he finally realized the, the truth of the way things are, apparently his first thought was, this is so subtle, nobody's going to get it. I won't, I won't even bother teaching this. And uh, it was... Uh, it was the request of the, the Brahma god Sahampati, as they say. So the, the Brahma realm is like a, an, a, a realm of, of, of being. So there's no, there's no, uh, there's no pain, there's no, um, there's no sense of things arising and ceasing because the, the, the realm is such a kind of huge, time is so vast in that realm that you don't really notice the arising and ceasing of things. But there is, but it is still an impermanent realm, and the the kind of the highest um, being, the Brahma, was known as the Brahma God, saw the Buddha's realization and and how immensely valuable this would be to all beings, and and came down. This is the story, the legend, came down and asked him out of compassion, please teach those for those with little dust in their eyes. I love that expression. For those with little dust in their eyes, please teach the Dhamma, so that so that beings, so that people can be awakened, so that people can awaken to their true nature. So, uh, fortunately for us, he did teach the Dhamma, and they call it setting in motion the wheel of Dharma. and that wheel is still turning. Amazingly, two thousand. 500 plus years later, even in West Coast America, East Coast America, Australia, England, Czech Republic. Kind of amazing, isn't it? So uh, this, this is, you know, this, this teaching is, con- is continuing and the, the natural yearning within us to understand truth now, even though the culture that we live in does everything it possibly can to try and distract us from that, still the, the yearning is there in the heart. And for, for those with little dust in their eyes, which probably would be everybody in this room, there is this attraction and, and moving towards the truth, the truth of the way things are. So this truth is is our true nature. It's what is here when everything else falls away. And as I was saying in in the first talk of the retreat, the five hindrances, when they arise, they seem like who and what we are, but they're they're passing states. And then when when all of those subside, then we get a glimpse of uh, a true nature of mind, which is also, we can't claim it. We can't say this is me or this is mine, but we can be it. We can know it directly. So we're always looking for something to hold on to and some kind of certainty, clarity. But the Buddha is pointing to the constant changing nature of things. The flux. And to be the knowing of that, to, to recognize, the, to be present with the constant change, 
this is the place of safety, this is the place of freedom. It's kind of counterintuitive. You know, we think the place of safety is something that's solid and certain that we can define and hold on to. But there isn't anything like that in this world or in any of the realms, even in the Brahma realm, which appears to be eternal and, and comfortable and safe. It's, it's, uh, it also changes. So, so that place of presence that can be with the changing conditions as they are, that doesn't, that remembers to let go of the identification and the holding and the, the yearning for certainty and safety. It's like when we let go of that, then we find the safety is right here. It never left us, it was always here in the midst of the many, uh, the great complexity of experience, that place of presence, knowing, noticing change, that is the, the place of safety. And it's, it's very simple and it's very elusive at the same time because we so quickly want to identify and or even we can't, we, you know, maybe we don't even want to identify, we can't not, you know, it's just it's already happened, we're already in it. So, you know, the Buddha did teach the Dhamma because he did recognize, yes, that, you know, there are, there are people who can understand this. And you know, he first, the story goes that he first went to the five ascetics who he, were, who he practiced with, who had rejected him for being a, a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> and he taught them. And at first they didn't want to, they didn't want to receive him. And, oh, it's him, you know, he went and ate that lovely milk rice and... He's not. He's not really practicing, and he's lazy. And and uh, they say the story goes as he approached them. They were in the forest practicing. <clears throat> as he approached them, even though they were saying, "Oh, I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to see," they couldn't help themselves but go and greet him and make a seat and invite and welcome him because because of his radiance, his the natural radiance that came through his insight and awakenness. And so the the first teaching was given to these five ascetics and one of those five realized stream entry, realized the first level of enlightenment. And then later he taught, uh, he gave a different teaching which all five became enlightened. And then he carried on you know, teaching people who already had quite a strong spiritual practice, not a Buddhist practice but a, a, uh, like a strong spiritual discipline. And uh, it seems that in that time, you know, many, many people were waking up. So, and then he would he would shift his teaching around depending on who he was teaching, teaching different ways to different people. So, what we inherit, you know, sometimes we're in in the Western world, we've inherited particular ways, you know, particular styles of of, of techniques, and then we think, well, that's the way you're supposed to do it. But when the, you know, if you look in the suttas, the Buddha doesn't really give much in the way of techniques. He kind of gives pointers. 
it's, it's a bit more open source, you could say. It gives pointers to different practices. And they can be vastly different depending on who he's teaching. And there are certain formulas that come up again and again in the suttas, but then you'll find very, very different ones that seem, seem to be almost opposite that will be given to particular people. So, uh, you know, when, when we give guided meditation or give teachings, then you, know, you need to take that in and see how does that apply to, you know, how can I make use of that? Does it work or does it not work? Is it useful or not useful? And, you know, explore and investigate for yourselves. But, I, you know, I really encourage you to, to have faith, really. It's a funny thing to ask of you, but I encourage you to have faith that you, we, all have the potential to awaken. And not to try and get it all down by the end of this retreat, you know, <laughs> or even this lifetime. Not to, not, to, not, to, not to set a goal of like, got to get there, got to do it, but to keep investigating, to keep investigating phenomena. So Ajahn Suchito said to me one time about uh, the Nibbana element, he was speaking about the Nibbana element, the, the element of enlightenment, which is not often spoken about. We find it in the Abhidhamma mentioned. And he was saying the Nibbana element is like a solvent. It's like a solvent that, you know, when we, uh, just, as, just as, you know, if you've got a, a gunk of glue on something and you want to get it off, you, you get a solvent and it breaks it up and then you kind of clean it up. And then you can make use of the thing that was before, it was all gunked up before. So it's just the same with our, our being. It's like our true nature is, is clear, bright, open, awake, aware. It gets kind of gunked up with identity, history, social conditioning. Got to get somewhere, be someone, succeed. All of that. It gets gunked up with all of that. And then the nibbana element is like a solvent that brings an attitude of investigation and curiosity and teasing apart to these conglomerations of self and conditioning and identification and ideas of permanence. So, uh, so when we find ourselves, you know, it's like we get lost again and again. Or maybe we're just, you know, we, we get more, maybe it's more true to say we get little glimpses of reality now and again. And a lot of time we're not, we, we can't see clearly. But we get a little glimpse and then we recognize, ah, now that is true. When we see it, we can't mistake the fact that it's true. Whatever they tell you on the TV, you know that what you just experienced was the truth of the way things are. And... So there's a, there's a natural yearning and curiosity and attraction to that. And it kind of doesn't leave you. you know, once you start going down that road, you can't turn back. So, uh, and then, so then you know, first you get the little glimpses and then you start to see how that sense of self contracts. Or you find yourself in a, just in a state of contracted self. 
and you know what, what if we're not mindful then we start to judge it and criticize it and maybe judge our practice i've been practicing all these years i'm still doing this you know that's adding that's adding more glue onto the glob of glue that's already there so what we want to do is bring the nibbana element which is like curiosity investigation what is it what is this experience of stuff? it's oh what does it feel like it's tight it's compacted it's got a it's got a message that says this is who i am and i've always been like this and i'm always going to be like this it has these voices you know so you start to kind of pull it apart and see what it's made of and as you do that that's like applying the nibbana element you're applying the 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 truth of impermanence the truth of not self not as a concept but as a a practical investigation so to 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 have the concept of no self is 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 totally confusing and it can be literally crazy making people can flip out because they try to be a no self <laughs> and it's usually coming from aversion it's usually coming from a sense of aversion to being somebody and I don't like who i am i want to be nobody and or or grasping you know i want to become enlightened but it doesn't work like that it's it's about it's present the teaching the dhamma the quality of the dhamma is always apparent here and now it's present it's here it's timeless it's not time bound it's not something that's happening later it's is now um it's for us to investigate for ourselves leading inwards or leading onwards it's it's tra- it's translated in both ways which is kind of beautiful it does both lead inwards and onwards so it's just bringing us back into looking more carefully at what's going on here and it's to be experienced individually by the wise so it's that wisdom that inherent wisdom that we all have that is just part of us part of our true nature regardless of what our idea of what we are is of how foolish we might believe we are and how unwise we might think we are the wisdom is inherent in our being and so the dhamma is to be experienced individually by the wise by the wisdom within you that's what we'll see and understand the dhamma and it's just you know i can understand why the buddha sort of said oh it's too subtle and that people aren't going to get it because there's a real interest like we want the jhanas or you want to, you know, in in that time the people are practicing all kinds of amazing meditation practices and psychic powers manifesting and and then there were these ascetic practices you stand on one leg for 25 years and hold your arm above your head and there are still people doing that in india now i've seen them <laughs> it's amazing they are kind of quite impressive in some way and, and but you know it's not that those don't build up spiritual power but they don't lead to enlightenment so so he recognized like oh this insight is kind of subtle nobody's going to be interested <laughs> you know it's too subtle but it, it's it's about turning back to what's going on here and now taking an interest teasing it apart recognizing when it all gets gunked up again and then bringing that nibbana element back and just working away at it and and perseverance like having persistent effort is really really important 
know, it's not like you go on a retreat and then that's, or do a couple of retreats and, and then you got it down. I think many monastics have come into the monastic life thinking, okay, I'll just do this for a couple of years, then I'll get it down and then I'll go out and do what I need to do. And then, you know, 25, 30, 40 years later, <laughs> because it's a, it's, a, it's a moment by moment practice. And I think a very important part of the practice is to encourage yourself, you know, to see the the, the the goodness and the good intention and the effort. And sometimes I think it's like it's like walking on a long journey, you know, and you're starting here and you look way, way over there at those mountains in the distance and you think, Okay, that's where I'm going. And you start on your journey. And you walk, and you walk, and you walk, and you walk for days on end, and and you're, and you're feeling kind of tired, and your legs are hurting, and you're wondering if you're really getting anywhere. And you look at that mountain, and you think it's just not any closer; it just looks the same. But then you turn and you look back at where you came from, and you realise, wow, I've come a really long way. I've I've gone through some incredible difficult terrain, and I've and I've got here, and that's great. So it can be like that too, just to to encourage, you know, to see the work that is being done, to see the gradual transformation and the potential and just to keep encouraging yourself. And also we've mentioned a few times about the importance of having good friends, you know, connecting with people who encourage you in the right direction. That can be really, really important because there are times when we just feel like it's all just not working and we can't get through it and we really are a hopeless case and who are we fooling, thinking we could get anywhere anyway and all of that. And then you need a good friend who holds up a mirror and shows you the goodness and the good effort and the potential that you have. So I feel these are all very important parts of, you know, aspects of our path. Let's sit for a little while. Just stay with it a bit longer. Um, Let's do a little guided meditation. Coming into the experience of this body sitting here.
can feel the weight on the seat, sense of gravity. the earthiness of this body. And feel the space above and around you. Take the space, you don't have to feel crunched, small. Just notice what attitude your mind has towards your body. Sometimes there can be a big split between body and mind. And the mind generally considers itself superior. So just coming into the body, seeing what you find. Is it a a friendly relationship or is there an aversion criticism or an aloofness If you find there's a, some sort of distancing, see if you can come into the experience of this body. This amazing, complex phenomena of a body that we could not, the mind could never manage to regulate and control. Much too complex. Incredible. So coming into this body, breathing, feeling the warmth, coolness. Feeling the places that feel strong and sturdy, even if it's just your bones, 
and the places that feel more vulnerable or maybe even difficult to feel at all. And letting your mind embrace this whole body sitting here. Letting awareness embrace the whole body. So this body is our most precious teacher. Teaching us about the constant changing nature of things. Whatever we can gain in this lifetime however successful we can become, however wealthy, however powerful, important we can become in this lifetime, the body will at some point die. We leave it all behind. And all that we take with us is what we've cultivated in this stream of consciousness. But while we're here, manifest on this earth, we can do good with these bodies. taking care of them and using them to benefit others in whatever way we might be called to do that. It might be that we're called to go and sit in a cave and meditate for 25 years. It might be that we're called to go out and do social action stand in front of a bulldozer. It might be that we take care of the land. We take care of other bodies, other people. They're sick or dying, babies needing care. So we can do good. We can use these bodies for generosity, for compassion for loving kindness. They're these precious tools, is our precious teacher that teaches us the wisdom of the emptiness of all things. And it teaches us 
the compassion that we naturally feel when we're attuned to our, our vulnerability in this world. And as we get to know our own vulnerability, then we have more empathy for the vulnerability of others. We start to see that a lot of the crazy behavior that people have is based on a fear or trying to run away from the basic natural law, natural truths. So the Dhamma is the truth of the way things are. And in our practice, we're attuning, we're re-tuning, re-aligning with this natural truth. It's happening anyway, whether we want to believe it or not. Change is happening. And learning how to rest into the present, knowing. And not taking issue with what we find here. So if we find tension, contraction, judgment, meeting that with a kindly curiosity, a friendly interest. If we're meeting rapture, delight, expansiveness, and meeting that with with the recognition, well, with the receiving that, with the enjoyment of that, and the recognition that now this also is not who and what I am. This also changes. Letting it all arise and cease. just as the breath arises and ceases again and again. So we can use the breath as, a, as an anchor of mindfulness. It can be the whole body breathing. 
or if you want to stay in a particular place and notice the in-breath and the out-breath. Just letting the mind collect around that. But when there's enough collectedness to return the mind to notice that changing nature, rising and passing away. And seeing how this breath, each breath of life that comes into our lungs. And where is it coming from? It's connected with everything on this earth, every living thing. So in an environment like this, it's very obvious. We're surrounded by trees, birds, deer, turkeys. Bugs, little microorganisms in the earth. And there's a breathing process going on with all of that. We're breathing in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide. These trees around us are breathing in carbon dioxide and breathing out oxygen. What an amazing system that is. We're giving each other breath at this time. So just recognizing there's the, you know, there's me and my breath. And then we can let that open up into a much bigger reality. We see our, what we could call our radical interconnectedness or interbeing with everything. Can't really say where I begin and end. Where any one of us begins and ends. Because we're totally inter-being with everything else in this cosmos.
So recognizing when that experience of a separate self is very strong and recognizing when it's absent or those times in between where there's a sense of me here deeply connected with all others whether that's through you know, just recognizing our common humanity as human beings or on an elemental level Whatever works for you. So we're staying in relationship with this body, mindfulness immersed in the body. But we're knowing that this body is changing with every meal that we add, every glass of water, every breath, every time we use the toilet. It's changing. And every thought of kindness, every time we turn away from harmful intention towards kind, wise attention, we're transforming this body and mind. 